for me, technology for the modern finance organization, that's how we scale. That's how we up level. That's how we deliver value back to the business. We've got to leverage technology. So many times people just do dashboards to just do dashboards, right? Whenever I created a dashboard or wherever I'm working with a client and they're like, Chris, we would love a dashboard. The first question I ask is, what action are you trying to have? What, what like emotion are you trying to have from this dashboard, right? Simply, you got to put the, the right ABCs in finance, right? Don't put the always be counting back in finance. Put the always be curious. Under do you use ChatGPT? Well, let's solve it, love it. I love solving. Let's get on this one, dude. Solve the it. Hello, and welcome to Tech for Finance, where we help finance professionals leverage technology to level up their lives. I'm your host, Tim Shilton, and in this episode, we're chatting with Chris Ortega, fractional CFO and CEO of Fresh FPNA. Chris started his career in the audit division of EY before going on to build and scale the finance organization at multiple companies. Chris led the America's finance organization at Amansis and was instrumental during its acquisition by SAP post-merger integration. Chris now runs Fresh FPNA, which he formed in January 2022 and provides fractional CFO and advisory services to businesses that allow him to transform and scale their finance organization. Chris is based in Indiana and loves boxing and is a lifelong fan of Dragon Ball Z, Vegeta Mood all day. Before we, start, <laughs> before we start, if you like what you hear today, please remember to subscribe to Tech for Finance and your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. And for more content, head over to techforfinance.com. Thanks for joining me today, Chris. It's great to have you. And man, it's a pleasure to be here, man. Love all the work that you're doing, Tech and Finance. Thank you for having me as a guest. No, no worries. Absolute pleasure. So over to you to, to start then. So tell us a little bit more about how Fresh FPNA was formed because it's what coming up to about a year that things have been going for you now. Yeah, yes. Coming up on a year, man. Uh, so starting Fresh FPNA, um, I've been leading, uh, I grew up in accounting, finance, FPNA, uh, and financial leadership for over 17 plus years, primarily focused in like high growth businesses um, and scaling businesses. And, you know, I was at a that solution and things didn't work out, honestly, Adam, like it didn't work out. Expectations and reality were a lot different. And Adam, I found myself at this fork in the road, right? Do I continue to go down CFO level roles, continue to do that? Or do I take the leap of faith and chase my passion? And I started Fresh FPNA because I felt there needed to be like a fresh perspective on finance, right? Like when I was going, I was like, man, like I've had all this experience. I know what it takes to transform and scale a finance organization. I know what it means, all the pitfalls, all the lessons learned. And I felt that there needed to be a fresh perspective on finance. So that's how I started Fresh FTNA. Perfect. And yeah, it, and it comes across. I mean, anybody that follows you and, and what I'll do, I'll, I'll, I'll put some links to your content in the show notes as well. The, the enthusiasm and energy comes across. So it's, it's definitely seems like the right move for you. Yeah? And you've, you've been enjoying it, right? Yeah, it's absolutely amazing, man. Like the, and I think the most amazing part is not only the clients that we get to start for FPNA, but the broader community. I think one thing that, uh, that I've just been very impactful in my journey in building Fresh FPNA 
is building and connecting with so many different professionals that are not just in the finance organization. These are people that are in sales. These are people in HR. These are people in operation. And I think one like uh, the undertone that you see from that is there's a lot of people that are maybe have that fear or don't know how to take that leap of faith, right? They have their big boy, big girl job, but they would love to do like these side passion projects. And honestly, like that's how Fresh FPNA was 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 developed. Like I've been doing Fresh FPNA consulting, uh, fractional word, thought leadership word for the last seven years before I even went full time into Fresh FPNA. So just had my VP of finance, those uh, higher level finance jobs, but I was doing this on the side as well too. So I think one thing that I just loved over the last year of building Fresh FPNA. It's kind of empowering and enabling people to say, look, you can still have that job where you get that consistency, you, you're, you're building and growing your skills, but you can also like have these five passion projects where you're, you're, you're learning new skills, you're, you're working on more passionate things that you, you want to focus on. So I think that's probably one of been the biggest takeaways that I've had over the last year is like how my story and how building fresh FPNA has empowered another able uh, other people to go chase their dreams and passions as well. It's a very interesting point about building on the side, and and I'm hearing more and more about this at the moment. That there are more people moving into senior finance positions, and, and maybe not even senior finance positions. But thinking, what's next? You know, what's what what's a little bit more me that I can start focusing on, and. Nice. What I found in conversations and from personal experience is actually a lot of people get a bit concerned and, and you can speak to this. A lot of people get a bit concerned if they start a side hustle or a side project or whatever, it's going to detract and take away from their full-time job. So they're, they're scared because either, you know, they're worried that an employer might find out or that, you know, there's going to be questions asked about where they're spending their time. But I found that actually it energizes in, in a lot of instances, you know, that side project is more often than not related to what you're doing full time anyway. So in a lot of instances, they can work hand in hand. And so, so that stuff that you're doing for you energizes the stuff that you're doing during the day for your employer. And I don't know whether you found that. Oh yeah, most definitely. I think for me, like that, that is like people chasing their passion, right? And when you look at this mode of like, unfortunately, when you look at the, the macro environment of uh, business right now, you, you know, you see the, the Salesforce reduction of 10, 10%, you see the Coinbase reduction of another 20%. You're seeing a lot of organizations that are tightening up their budgets, right? And for me, I look at it where it's like, man, imagine if you were, you know, just laid off or going through that situation and my heart goes out to all those employees. I've been there. Like I've been in that situation. I know what that feels like. But the one thing that I've always said is like, I've had this like passion project that I can work on, right? Like, it's almost like you're creating your own safety net for yourself, right? It's like, you go do these things. And, and a lot of the passion projects, like for me, as an example, like it was already things that I was doing in my full-time job, right? And I told my, I told all of my, my managers, said, look, this is something that's important to me. It's never going to conflict with my responsibilities. My work quality is never going to suffer. I'm going to deliver higher value because I have this opportunity to go work and share this, right? 
Um, and you, you, you like supplemented it. And you're exactly right. It energized me because I get to go work on this client and help them build their organization. And it's in a completely different space, but it's also supplementing the education and the skills that I'm developing in my, in my job. And to me, I think like that safety net aspect of it, that it created, um, that I'm able to make passive income while also working a full-time job and like I'm getting fulfillment from both different areas, right? Like I'm building an organization, I'm, I'm writing the story, but I'm also using my skills, passions, and talents and experience to share that with other people and building that same story. So for me, I think it's like 100% like following that purpose, finding that passion and executing on it. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. And, and the next, and we'll jump around a bit. I did send you some questions, but I very rarely asked them in order. Um, so, so with doing lots of things, full-time job and, and you know, finance pros never got any time anyway. Everybody's always asking questions, you know, send me this, send me that. Oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. So if you are going to consider taking on more work, you need to be ruthless with your time. And I can see from, from your experience, it seems as though you've always leveraged the technology with a view to, to freeing up that time piece. So when you look at the different companies work for you've amassed a huge amount of experience um implementing different software tools so, so some notes here i mean you you moved one company we did a full office 365 migration in two days for one company didn't you yeah and um, you set up power bi to measure lagging and leading kpis which obviously is going to save you time in excel um you've got the oracle hyperion stuff which took you what you roll it uh 12 month rolling estimate from six to two days um, yeah. and then you've been creating commission reporting tools, which comes back to that bridge that you mentioned between finance and other departments. So yeah, talk a little bit more around that was, was the aim of those tools with a focus on saving time? Was it a focus on solving a challenge or was it focus on these are the ambitions of the business? We need the tools to be able to achieve our goals. So can, can you talk, talk about that? I think the number one thing to solidify why I did all of those is, is definitely what modern finance organizations are struggling with right now. Humans don't scale anymore, right? Traditional finance, right? Growing up in finance, a lot of times PFOs and I, I get a lot of clients and prospects that come to me with this problem. They think that they can just, they have a problem and they're like, hey, what solves the problem? Go hire more people to solve the problem. And you'd be surprised, Adam, how many, so many organizations suffer from that fallacy where it's just like, we got a problem, go hire people to solve problems. Earlier in my career, even going back to my public accounting days, I was like, that's not the solution. Technology is meant to scale you and your people. This is what I talked about in my six pillars of financial transformation, right? Those six pillars being people, process, partnership as the foundation of it building any hype, it building any modern finance organization, the scaling pillars to scale on top of those platform performance and process, right? That is what it's meant to be. So like my, always my mindset was saying, Hey, I can no longer get to the higher value activities. I want to do. really get into the strategic level thinking and scale myself across all these different businesses. If I don't leverage technology, right? Like. I never had the luxury and I'm pretty sure a lot of the VPs of finance, the CFOs that are going to be looking at this conversation, we don't have the luxuries to go like hire a bunch of like people. We don't 
we don't get the 20 different head counts that we get to get, right? We, um, I was reading an article by CFO Dodd yesterday and the CFOs have to do less with more, but that's where technology comes in, right? Technology can help you accelerate and put your people in those higher value activities. So for me, in all of those initiatives that you talked about, the number one thing I was thinking about was like, how can I leverage this tool and technology to scale what I'm doing to put me in the highest value, to deliver the highest value to the partners that I'm serving, and also to the fun stuff I want to do, right? Listen, nobody wants to be, if you have your all-star FPNA or your all-star uh, uh, VP of finance, churning and burning through Excel, updating data models, doing all this data aggregation, those are, that's not value. That's not going to change the game, right? If they're doing that, they're already looking for a job right now. So for me, technology for the modern finance organization, that's how we scale. That's how we up level. That's how we deliver value back to the business. We've got to leverage technology. And to, talking about scaling there, um, and these principles apply to all sides of businesses. It's just levels of scale. You know, so whether you're a startup business, you know, looking to get funding and go to the next level, you know, whether you're an established business looking to maintain 20, 30% year on year growth, there's, there's often a fork in the road. Um, as you say, when, when we think how, how do we scale? Cause we've got the option to, to get more people with experience and, you know, they can do these sorts of things standing in their head or we've got the option to, to invest in technology, but at the same time, we don't necessarily know what technology is going to help us. Yeah. So, so when you look at, and I'll just use the example of a, of a smaller business, right? So, so let's take a, a scale up business still relatively young. So, so we've got the, the foundational members, we're, we're starting to build a finance team, you know, maybe getting towards maybe, maybe five, five people. Um, and today they've been getting along fine with something like a zero or a QuickBooks, you know, all, all those, all those entry level sort of systems. Now, the next option is take the example of FPNA using planning example there. And, and obviously maybe Oracle Hyperion, not the best choice for a small business, right? It's, it's sleep. Just talking. Yeah. 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 But, but there are obviously, um, more accessible tools to smaller businesses that might type of the forecasting or the cash flow forecasting or all that sort of thing. Using zero is the example, you know, you've got zero marketplace, you know, let's find an app that plugs into zero and, and scale that. And there's nothing wrong with that right? because investing in the right areas, you're picking and choosing, you're taking a best of breed approach and say, right, well, instead of you know, employing somebody else to crunch the numbers in Excel, we're going to add on this solution to, to zero. That's going to tackle, you know, 50, 60% of the forecasting piece or the budgeting piece or whatever, so that you've then got a human that can oversee that and say, this is the big, so let's make that decision from it. Okay, so, so totally agree. That's, that's one scenario, but the other scenario, and again, you, you can, you can correct me is maybe higher growth businesses where that approach to just picking and choosing the, the add-on applications isn't going to scale because in no time you're going to end up with six, eight, 10 different little bits of software that all talking to each other, you know, not all completely integrated. So I'm talking a lot here. The short question is, 
at what point for you, do you think businesses to need to make that shift from sticking plasters, lots of different applications to support different functions to right, well, let's implement an end-to-end -end ERP system. And, and, and I know prior experience, you know, you've got a bit of experience with NetSuite, but obviously in that space, you've got your SAPs, you know, we mentioned that during the acquisition, you've got Microsoft Dynamics, you've got your, your Sages and all of that sort of stuff. So it's, what markers are you looking out for that says, this isn't just a, a budget app or an expense app. This is a, this is a shift in platform. What are the markers that you look for where you think the right time to, to move into an end-to-end -end solution would be? Yeah, and it, you, you talked about the business and the journeys, right? And this is like a lot of the experience I had. The startup gave up the enterprise, right? Throughout that entire journey, right? When you're like that seed company, a lot of seed companies are operating in the mentality that you just said, like Hoy Solution. I think of them, they're, they're finding their chemical compounds, right? Hydrogen is maybe QuickBooks. Oxygen is maybe like Power BI with QuickBooks. And then their carbon is going to be Excel to do some of their data analytics, right? They're creating all these different recipes of formulas. You just have to, you're, you're scrappy. You don't have the time, energy, and effort, probably the resources or expertise to go get those bigger solutions, right? Once you get into that startup phase, maybe you're a series A, you just raised that series A level money. Now you're thinking about, okay, we're broadening our market position. Like a lot of things are changing in the business. Maybe your, your market position has changed. The total addressable market, your ICP is changing, right? Now you start to get more mature in terms of how your business is being directed, right? Once you get to that scale-up phase, now business is not just about the finance organization. It's not, it's not just about the red rate. It's about contract administration. Once it starts branching outside of the finance organization, you start getting red blocks, you start getting marketing, you start getting client success. Now you're thinking about how do we bring in a holistic uh, uh, NetSuite or an SAE or O365, right? How do we bring in this cross-collaboration aspect of it? So me, one of the biggest tales of like, you need to branch out to find a more centralized ERP for the organization is when that decision-making and that, that insight becomes outside the finance organization, right? Typically it happens in, for high growth SaaS businesses, you start seeing that in the sales and marketing group, right? Once you start seeing velocity build up, you start seeing pipeline get increasing. You start seeing a significant headcount. You start getting to more complexity around commissions. You start getting into more complexity around territory management. Once that starts branching outside the finance organization, now you start to need like, okay, how are we going to correct? How are we going to directly connect in sales, right? They start getting sales force, or maybe they start getting other PR installations. So that's one big tell sign for me. And the second thing is, is like always in organizations, right? A lot of times they start down that road and I see it, right? All the time. One organization I was at, they had this solution, Doho Book. I'm not here to knock any solution. I'm not going to do that. But like, I'm like, what is this? Like this, who made it? Like who, who would ever decide to start their business on that? Right. And I'm not, it's just a, maybe a bad instance, but a lot of times like that owner, that leadership group, that seed that started the organization, they don't have that expertise, right? They're just doing a Google search and saying, Hey, like what tools out there? This is where you can bring in that, that, that person that has that battery included, that's already seen that journey earlier on in that process, right? I talked about foundation earlier, right? Think of the modern finance organization as a house, right? 
the most important thing out of every house, irregardless of what's built on it, is that foundation. If that foundation has cracks, if it's not built with scale, it doesn't matter what you build on top of that. And then when you think about the time, energy, and effort it takes to go back and fix a foundation of a house, like it's the same thing that applies to finance organizations. So for me, those are some of the leading indicators and telltale signs where it's like, look, you need to move away from all these different point solutions because decision-making is not streamlined. You're not bringing in the business to collaborate. You're not communicated effectively. And data's everywhere. Data siloed. That's when you need to bring the organization together. Thanks for that, Chris. Hey, it makes sense. So I guess just, just scratching a little bit further, and I said that I wouldn't, wouldn't stick to the script. So an interesting point that you made was about departments working closer together. And the example that you used there was um, the growing sales team, growing revenue operations, and the way that that data needs to flow between sales and finance. And um, now we, we don't need to, to pick into the systems that will allow you to do that because it, it, again, that's it. We could have a whole new podcast on you know, CRM, <laughs> CRM systems and finance systems that talk to each other. That, that's not the point of the question. The point of the question is, so the, apart from the obvious benefits, which is we're not having to bang on the, the sales director's door to say, you know, give me a forecast, you know, what's coming up, you know, I need to know what I'm expecting to see in the coming you know, month, quarter, year, whatever it has to be. Taking it, it, if we, if we look to the future and you've done it, but for organizations that haven't got this integrated piece yet, when you've built organizations that have that integrated sales and finance piece, what are the, what are the KPIs that you then potentially got access to that you're going to be able to make better decisions from? Yeah. So I'll talk at a strategic level and work down. I like to think about vision, strategy, tactics, milestone metrics. So like. The metric piece of it is the bottom. The most important thing that I look back over my career when I partnered primarily with sales and marketing, when you're at a high growth size business, sales and marketing need to be like in lockstep with finance. That's probably two of, that is the most critical relationship in any high growth size business. Sales and marketing and finance together. The most important thing that I always looked at from that, from a strategic perspective was my value that I bring into the sales and marketing group was the connect the dots, right? So many times in the sales and marketing organization, right? Like you got leads, driving opportunities, opportunities with close one, going to close one business. And then the sales and marketing organization passes the baton to finance and it, it's just no conversation, right? One of the biggest things that finance organizations can have is connect the dots further along. Like how does that lead that came in from that event that was worked by that sales rep that closed that, you know, 90 days, which contributed to a 35% win rate that had this kind of uh, uh, contract valuation. How does that follow away all the way through to revenue, to cash, to dollar revenue retention, to customer lifetime value, right? And what I would do is I would hold quarterly trainings with the sales organizations and marketing team. And I'll say, hey, let's go do a retrospective of some of the great deals we had. I want to tell you the story of ABC company. Maybe that was a closed one opportunity, right? I'll pick one of the largest deals that we had and say, hey, I'm going to tell you the retrospective of ABC company. Here's where it first came in. And I would walk them through that entire journey. Here's where, you know, Nicole took the first, uh, the first SDR, took the first call and qualified it. 
Here's how I moved through the sales cycle, right? Here's how we got into contracting. Here's ultimately the first time we recorded revenue on it. Here's the first time we collected cash. Here's the upsell that we could potentially get in it because we closed a multi-year contract. Here's the revenue retention rate impact, right? And I would just do a quick work perspective with a 30 minute conversation. But while that was so valuable because sales, marketing, finance can see that entire journey, right? We were having conversations of what we could do better, how we can improve. So to your metric conversation, I mentioned some of those earlier on. First off, one of the biggest questions for the marketing organization is ROI around marketing, right? Like when you go invest $50,000 into a marketing event, how are you qualifying that that turned into lease opportunities, right? One thing that I would do with always doing our SDR organization is we would have incentives around. We would say, look, we're going to this big event in Chicago. Here's how we're going to qualify the leads. Here's how we're going to see how those leads perform. And oh, by the way, here's the historical metric on how we did last year, right? All about velocity. Then once it gets into the sales conversation, sales throughput, right? How are they moving through the stages? Flippage is another one, right? How many of these opportunities are moving through stages, but they get delayed on quarter to quarter because that has an in-year revenue impact. The other piece of it is a lot of cohort analysis on new business, right? Like what territories are hot? How are they performing? And then once it got into the finance organization, um, the KPIs that we would look at, customer lifetime value was huge. Net dollar retention rate is a huge one to look at. Uh, the other one that we would look at is like, obviously, you know, where CAC is a huge important one on the, on the, on the new business acquisition side. And a metric that I always like, uh, I like to compare against was like CAC compared to CAC value, right? I know some people look at that CAC ratio, uh, but I was like the revenue impact of CAC is like revenue is always going to have a tail in a SaaS business. So that's not really a valuable metric. How are we turning over our CAC to the amount of cash that we're getting, right? That was always like the unique uh, metric that I always looked at with our sales and marketing organization because that is measuring ROI, right? Like, here's how much we're spending. How much in-year cash are we getting from this marketing spend from our customers, right? Um, so to me, that's kind of like that, that vision and that strategy with the sales organization all the way down to some of those metrics that we would look at. But the key takeaway that everybody should take away from that conversation, that partnership with sales, not about like go fill out this Excel to update your territory, connect the dots, help them see the value of what they're doing, what's in it for sales with them. You should be able to communicate that to the sales organization, the finance organization to know what whistle is for the sales and marketing groups. Oh, that's fair. And for those of our listeners that are familiar with CAP, can you just break that down a little bit? Yeah. So CAC is customer acquisition costs. Think of it as the cost that you pay to acquire your new customer. Uh, a lot of times people look at it and CAC can be looked at a lot of different ways. I've measured it where you just take your total sales and marketing expense divided by the number of new deals that you receive. So for example, if your CAC is uh, $50,000 in a month, right? That's the total of your sales and marketing expenses, all, in, all inclusive, that salary, that software speed, everything that hits that department sales and marketing, all of those costs. And maybe in that month, you close two new deals, take that $50,000, divide that by two. Now you get the CAC of $25,000 on 
that new customers. I've also seen in another way where people break out CAC based on like, here's how much of CAC is related to our personnel spend. Here's how much of CAC is related to OPEX, right? Because there's different pieces. You can play with your CAC to say, all right, maybe if we lower down some of the OPEX side, right? Um, maybe we make better investments in software. Maybe we consolidate some tools. Maybe, uh, you know, we reduce our travel and marketing. That's going to actually reduce your, your CAC while not actually impacting the people. So there's many different flavors of it. Um, I think at the highest level, you can just take the total sales and marketing, but I've also looked at it from a people perspective and also an overall operational expense perspective. And then the cool thing is you can break that by territories, like how does CAC look between territories? Another cool, unique way of building that collaboration is looking at CAC between different cohorts of clients that you have. Your CAC for maybe a uh, small, medium-sized business it's going to be different because your sales organization is structured that way. Maybe you have a sales organization that's enterprise, mid-business, small business. Now you can start looking at CAC between those different levels. I can, that to me could be, a, I, I nerd out so much on customer acquisition costs because I think it's probably one of the most important metrics, if not the most important metric in a high growth SaaS business. No, I, I think that's fair. And then obviously the idea is, We've been talking about integrated solutions, right? Where you yes, might be able to create a dashboard that says, oh, you know, just show me the data in a pretty dashboard. But, but I suppose for companies that don't have that advantage, you can still get some of that data out, even with like a basic CRM system and a basic finance system, right? I mean, we, we touched on Power BI earlier. You can connect Power BI to lots of different data sources, you know, so that, that could be, a, I guess, a short send bridge to start surfacing some of this insight. I mean, of course, you can still use Excel, right? You know, I'm not, we're not Excel bashing. It's, it's still a tool. It is still there to be used, but we're talking about speeding up workflow and often, you know, getting stuck in Excel isn't a way to speed up workflow. So do you think, obviously it's not to quite the extent of a totally integrated solution, but do you think a business intelligence tool could go some of the way to amalgamating some of that data? 100%, but think like broader perspective of not even tools, right? Like. They, like so many times people just do dashboards to just do dashboards, right? Whenever I created the dashboard or wherever I'm working with a client and they're like, Chris, we would love a dashboard. The first question I ask is what action are you trying to have? What, what like emotion are you trying to have from this dashboard? Right? Cause a lot of times people produce dashboards and it says, okay, we had a budget of 12 widget and actual say we did 10 widget. Okay. Like. What, but like, <laughs> what does that do? Right? So I uh, don't create dashboards for the sake of reporting information, create dashboards to drive actionable. Like you want to drive emotion from somebody. I create my dashboards in whatever tool that I'm using, whether that's power BI, Tableau, click board, uh, thought spot, you name the tool, right? I want that person receiving that information that it draws some action from them they look at this and they're like i need to either i need to either press on the gas i need to slow down the gas or i need to go get gas right like you <laughs> want to have that emotionally be able to do something with it and i think a lot of times man dashboards are just people just create them and it's like you got 80 of these different dashboards that people are looking at and it's not really telling you anything the reason why it's not drawing emotion and to me this is a this is a or skill set for the finance organization, right? How do you help drive the business where you're like in that driver's seat of writing to say, hey, here's the kind of 
uh, emotion that I want to give into the business that it drives action. And here's how like sales can look at a dashboard and say, hey, like our leads are down and it's it's like red lights going, right? Because it's a fuel gauge, like we're running out of gas. We don't have enough leads. If we don't have this enough amount of pipeline, we can't have this amount of closed opportunity. Like we got problem. Like how can I go, hey, I need to go check in on this one. Like we need to do something about that. Like dashboard should not be about, oh, that's cool. It should be about wanting to do something. Yeah. And it, it ties to telling the story, doesn't it? You know, and again, we, oh. we, we could have a, we could have a completely separate podcast on data storytelling as well. I'm, I'm sure we could, but you, you're dead right. You know, that there needs to be an objective that isn't just pretty difficult. And, and, you know, being transparent, I mean, I use HubSpot you know, and really love HubSpot, you know, and question over to Ellie, whether it's the perfect fit for a SaaS business when you start getting into contracts and, you know, and, and you'd never use it for financials, obviously, but yeah. um, anyway, that's, that's an aside, but we've been doing quite a lot of work with some of those metrics that you've been mentioned, mentioning recently. So, so, uh, cost of customer acquisition, um, and then lead attribution and, and that sort of stuff. Huge, and huge. When you've got, um, the MD of a company looking at these dashboards and saying, I'm none the wiser, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a big red flag to say, are we either focusing on the wrong data or is it not formatted in a way that tells that story? Yeah. So, and, and the thing that I find interesting is things get a lot more interesting when you add the time element into reporting. Because when you look at C-suite, as you know, you know, your CEO and business work as a functional for, for lots of other businesses, you know, a lot of people can see a world of, of, two, of two dimensions, which is, you know, data dashboard, you know, this is the number of, this is how it displays. C-suite people that forecast and people looking strategically don't just want to see that what's going on now. It needs to be right. Well, how does that compare to what happened last month and last year? And what's that going to mean for, for moving into to next month, the next year? Yeah. So you add in that third dimension, which is, which is back and forth, I guess. So coming back to that point about lead attribution is lead attribution, um, is, is such a pain because if you're investing, so if, if you invest in marketing in all sorts of areas, um, you don't always know whether guests hosting on a podcast or, you know, being involved in that webinar or investing in this billboard in the middle of a city center is going to lead to those leads coming through. And in HubSpot, you've got the concept of, you know, first stage, second stage, um, attribution. This is potentially the first time they could have heard about you. This is potentially the second time that they've inquired. And um, so it's difficult to choose what you, what you want to be that metric is where did they first hear about this? But, but that aside. Using the example of the dashboard. So let's say we set up Power BI and we had Power BI pulling some data on number of leads and number of leads converting to opportunities. And then we've got data coming from our finance system that's syncing up with the customers. So we, we've got that record that says, you know, this is kind of the full story, I guess. Um, and this is how much revenue we've produced over the past however many months or years. Great. You know, maybe a pretty representation, but A, people probably know a bit of that already without needing to see it again, you know, but B, what's, what's the end goal? So 
if we switch that to a storytelling approach, we say, right, it's not just leads, but let's look at all of the mediums that we were using in terms of marketing spend, lead attribution, and let's have a look at, right, well, actually quite a large pot of our new names have come from this, this kind of marketing investment that we didn't really think was going to perform well, but actually it is. And how does that then relate to the way that we tweak our, our sales cycle? How does that then relate to the way that we manage the billing after the fact, you know, and, it, and it's being able to, I guess, set a context. And as you say, from that emotional response of what's next and what is the target that's going to be useful rather than just displaying data in a pretty format. So I went off on a bit of a tangent there, Chris, I'm sorry, but you know, is, yeah, is, that, kind of, is that kind of aligned with your thinking? Them, it's 100%. I would even go even more high level to summarize it. When I always think, and if it's four steps to give those finance people listen to this or looking at this, there's four questions that you need to have. What did we say we're going to do? What did we do? What are we going to do about it? And how are we going to get it done? Let me break that down, right? What did we say we're going to do? That's task, right? I said six months ago, that we were going to do a million dollars in Q1 in sales, right? That answers that question. To your exact point, that gives you that history. It gives you what did we say we're going to do, right? It gives you that context. What did we do? That's time period now, right? I said we were going to do a million dollars. We did $2 million. Nice. <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do about that? That's the forward thinking side of it, right? Now the most critical and a lot of great, you know, like 95%, uh, you know, 90% or finance organizations. If you answer those three questions, great job, pat yourself on the back. But we don't want to be that. We want to be great. We want to be top. We want to be, we want to be, you know, Argentina winning the world cup on a kind of finance organization. How did we do that? That's where you take that whole retrospective, right? You look and see every piece along the way. You tell that story. If you're a finance organization and you're able to give the business, what did we say we're going to do? What did we do? What are we going to do about it? And how did we deliver on that? Game changer, right? You've answered the four questions. And once you're able to walk the business through that, that's the challenge. The how part is the challenge, right? Now you got to go back and succinctly simplify. You got to speak the business language. You got to find the right ad and write talk track and story to deliver that value to the business. But as you keep that momentum going and keep doing those, those exercises, that is tremendous value, man. To me, I think those are the four critical questions that drive that emotion, that drive that insight. And if you get the business walking along in that journey, I remember being in finance organizations, Adam, where people were, were excited about our retrospect, excited about those conversations, right? I'm going to, I'm going to nerd out right now and say, I made ASC 606 exciting for our sales organization. Like they were looking forward to that meeting to say, this is going to walk us through the new revenue recognition and what it means for us. That's how that, that's really how you bring that man. Those four questions, game changers. Yeah. And, and you could, and, and I cut, it's, it's kind of part up in the questions that, that you mentioned there, but another question could be. How do we continue making this better? So it's, you know, it speaks to that continuous improvement piece. He's, again, I don't want to do this to death, but we take that scenario that we talked about looking from, you know, acquisition through to, to revenue. 
how could we get money in the bank quicker next time? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and at least to some of those KPIs that you mentioned earlier, you know, is there any lag? You know, how do we stop that lag? You know, is there a delay from the point of sales handover to delivery to the point where there's always a week worth of delay in getting invoices out? You see, you see what I mean? So, so, you know, you've got that iterative process that says we've got our, our four questions. Now we're really amazing. What's the next step? And then you're into that scientific message, which is continuous improvement of time. So uh, fabulous. I think you're right. Yeah. Just that, that specific piece that you get to it, because one other thing that I would give those finance leaders and even CFOs to be thinking about, go find those 40 quarterly business hypothesis that you want to go test. One of the things I always did and one of the things I, you know, empower our clients at Fresh MP&A to do is go pick two to three projects that you want to test hypothesis on. Most of them is, are we really getting the, the efficiency in our contracts that we need out of the sales organization, right? I'm partnering with a client right now to say, hey, look, did you know that if you were able to increase more knowledge upstream of your contract management process, if you were to able to make that more streamlined, both for yourself and the client, you could probably get more contracts sold, more contracts efficient. You have a better customer handoff once they get into implementation. And oh, by the way, everybody knows the contract they're trying to sell that's most advantageous to the business. This was an organization, Adam, that was just, they were monthly contract, daily contract. It was all over the place, right? And I said, go test a hypothesis of you doing that not just the finance organization getting the contract, go communicate that knowledge upstream. So I think taking the scientific method even a step further and diving deeper into that, go find two, one to three business hypotheses that you want to test that either increase revenue, reduce costs, build better efficiency, or build better value in the finance organization. That'd be the criteria. Go find those things, test. Now you're getting in the business and now you're not just Reporting the numbers, you're like, I'm going to go test this hypothesis to see if it's right, wrong, or indifferent. Highly recommend to do those. And the, the people side of what makes that fun, you created almost like these special ops projects that you got your finance team working on. Tying back to the conversation we had earlier, you can create those passion projects inside the organization. Those can be those passion projects. The best way to do that is one question. Go ask your team. What could we be doing better to help support our business? Go listen to the business, listen to their pain, listen to their uh, risks that they had, the challenges. You can get a lot of those business hypotheses, testing and listening from those conversations. And now you've got those passionate projects that your team is working on, that you're excited about. And the ultimate result, you're building the value that the finance organization is giving to the business, man. And I can, I completely agree. And it's, you know, it comes down to asking questions, doesn't it? Not just of the data, not just of the process, but it's of your team as well. You know, what, what fires you up? You know, what do you want to be working on that you're not working on at the moment? And, and I'll be very, I'll be very open. And I did post about it on LinkedIn, the, the back end the back in the last year, but, um, I lost a guy recently quite, quite disappointed. Um, things happen, right? You know, and. Um, see the, the graph being green. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but that's, that's by, by you know, their, their decision. But I went through quite a rigorous process of essentially trying to create a new role for them. You know, so, so you're obviously unhappy doing what you're doing at the moment, 
you know, how do we re-engineer your role so that you stay with us because we still think you've got the skill set. You know, we, we still really want to keep you as part of the team. And it was more money at the end of the day, but we, we weren't, we, we weren't doing it much. But, but, but the point there is in having that open conversation that said, be honest, what don't you like? What do you like? What are you not spending time on? What are you spending time on? Maybe if I'd done that six months earlier, the situation would have been completely different because we found out through those questions, we actually mapped his, his, uh, job role. And, and we said, these are all your responsibilities. You know, um, this is, I suppose the, the entire remit of your department, you know, you work in this area, but if we look at the entire department, you know, what areas do you think, you know, fires you up and it turned out a lot of the areas that did fire him up and actually interested him were outside his area of responsibility. You know, so if, yeah. if I'd had that conversation and said, what do you want to be doing more of, then we could have potentially re-engineered his role earlier. Now, sometimes it doesn't work out, as I say, you know, it's, it, it is what it is, but we live and we learn, right? But you're absolutely right. right. You know, even, even if you're not threatened by potential employee loss, because everybody is, unfortunately, you know, retention, yeah. retention is still an issue, you know, everybody, you know, all throughout 2022, I'm sure we'll be speaking about it in 2023, you know, with the advent of hybrid remote working, all of that sort of stuff, people just flying all over the place. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And so, so that was an interesting point, but yeah, whilst you've got them have those key questions, those key conversations with the team to tease out what's most important to them, you know, and if you find that I don't want to be spending my entire day stuck in a spreadsheet, find the technology to free up the time so that they can work on that passion project, you know, I think, yeah, Adam, man, you, you touched on a great topic and I'm so glad you talked about this and simply you got to put the, the right ABCs in finance, right? Don't put that always be counting back in finance. But the always be curious. And that starts setting the leadership down, right? One of the things I love about working with clients in all of my years in, in building high growth SaaS businesses was I was the curious person, man. Like I would walk in and say, man, why did we only collect that amount of money? Could we done something better, right? Why is the catalyst? There's been trillion dollars industries, Adam, created off of people being curious, right? Like, being curious about something. Look at look at Chat GPT, right? That's the most uh, like wildfire curiosity project. You go out there daily, and I'm just like, man, what is what is when is the last time Microsoft traded above this level? And what was their quarterly performance and revenue target that they hit? You talk about being curious about stress. That is the right place. And when you build that curiosity inside your organization, you go uncover those things, right? Like. I always have my organ. I always have my team like working on those uh, quarterly. I call them process excellence initiatives. Go find a process inside the business that you go collaborate with the business that either increase revenue, drive drive costs down, increase more efficiency, or build a better collaborative relationship. Go find those. Work on and your responsibility. And I would tie compensation to them. Right. I would get that metric in there to say. If you complete these projects that you've identified, you get like a spot bonus or an extra bonus around that, right? But that's the thing, man, is like curiosity is a superpower in the finance organization. Under yeah. Do you use chat GPT? Well, what's something loving? Just I love something. Let's get on this one, dude. I'm trying to tease that one out there because I was like, 
talk about it. We, we, we've got to, you've got to talk because I lost my Christmas to it. A hundred percent. I got an account. I was like, hang on, this is free. <laughs> it's free. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 it, it's not going to be free for much longer because I, I hear they're spending uh, like two, three million a day on infrastructure and, and just the price of running the service. And um, I'm sure it's not just that, but there's a lot more, you know, employees, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, you talk about curiosity that you can get yourself into a pretty serious chat GPT hole because it, because it's not just the traditional Google approach, which is, you know, tell me how to cook this recipe. It's, uh, oh, well change this recipe. So it's mutant free. Is, is that iterative being able to, you know, and, and let's take a step back for listeners who don't know what chat GPT is, because it is still really new. Yeah. It's developed by a company called open a and uh, open AI and Microsoft are in on the game, aren't they? So they're partnered with Microsoft um, and it's a conversational AI platform uses data up until 2021. So historic texts. Um, you know, the internet pages, you know, all, all, all of these, these sorts of, it, it's heavily focused on language, right? Like language based, but the whole aim of it is that it's meant to be like, a, a, almost like a personal assistant, like a research bot, whereby you can ask it pretty much any question and it will get back to you with a really concise, informed response. They banned it in schools now because people are getting it to write essays for them, you know? Write me an essay on, you know, um, the downfall of Napoleon and whatever it is, and, and it will, it will write you a, a page worth of essay, you know, so it's exciting, but it's also quite terrifying. Now, don't want to put words in, in your mouth, Chris, but obviously you and I produce quite a lot of content, whether it's, you know, LinkedIn or blog posts or whatever. Um, and chat PT will give you themes, you know, if you want to ask it a question, oh, you know, let's scratch a little bit deeper on this. Well, what is a challenge here? And it'll give you bullet points and all that sort of stuff. So as a starting point, content is also, also really useful. But the concern is it, people are just going to abuse it and just basically copy content from chat GPT and use it to bolster their web presence and SEO. So I hear there may be watermarks that they're building into it for Google to essentially squash content. That's crazy. Anyway, I'm going off on, on a bit of a rant here. Summary is, it's amazing. You should use it, right? Yes. And yes. also Google is seeing it as a massive threat because I'm already yeah. using ChatGPT over Google because I don't have to surf through 10 web pages to get what I want. I just ask the question and it's all there ready to go. I don't know what your experience is with it. How, how are you using it at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I've used it on a lot of different places and platforms, but the thing I love about it is we are getting to the place in technology where whether you're in finance, whether you're in marketing, irregardless of whatever functional area you're in, or irregardless of whatever you're doing in life, right? This is a great A-B test, right? The gold standard of any testing, for, because this comes from my pharma space, right? Like A-B and blind testing to be able to do it. Like you can go out there and a lot of times I go through and I just think on things and I'm like, well, what is this? And then you say, all right, well, change this aspect of it. Like I'll write a question and say, one of the things I, you know, I posted uh, on my LinkedIn was I checked in chat, uh, chat GPT, what is a fractional CFO, right? And it gave me like a response and it was like, you can, you can tell that even chat GPT was like, I don't know if this is the right thing. So it was like, <laughs> it was like mixing in like a regular CFO. Then it was going like finance in there. 
feel like it was going through. But like one of the cool things that you can go through with it is like you can actually add comments and say, nope, this isn't really it. Like this is a better definition of it. And the AI learns from your feedback that it gives, right? The application that it has is tremendously important, right? And I, I've been leveraging uh, basically what the, the core technology, the baseline of what it uses on, is called something called NLP, Natural Language Processing. So it takes the language that you write and it processes that to articulate the question you're trying to answer. Adam, back in 2009, I worked at a software company called Chopstop Search. And we use the same platform, but it was X-based. So you would ask a question on text, what is Michael Jordan's birthday? We would read that through text and it would actually serve back an answer based on the population of questions that were asked. So I remember using natural language processing way, way back then. I won't age myself for everybody listening look, and viewing this, uh-huh. but it has huge applications, right? Um, I, I seen a great tweet yesterday. It says, chat GDP, uh, chat GPT won't take your job, but a person leveraging chat GPT will take your job. I was like, yo, that's game changer, dude. Because it, we talked about this earlier in the conversation, right? For finance organizations, we talked about scale, right? If you look at, if you look at solo entrepreneurs, if you look at people like yourself, me, other great people in this space that are building their business, right? You can only scale so much. Once they're able to get that incorporated inside of like business productivity tools, dude, I'm going to be on a call one day talking to my, uh, you know, Microsoft is already doing this in their Power BI application, right? Because they have port, right? You're going to, we're going to get to a place where you can talk in your phone for, uh, you know, whatever the name is, a Cortana. Give me our last sales projections for last year and this year. And what's our forecast deviation year to date? You're going to be able to say that on your phone. It's going to have that. It's going to tell you what it is. And it's going to have that in your screen, right? Think about the value and how that changes the game for the traditional CFO and the modern CFO, right? The traditional CFO, they get that email, they feel all powerful, like, yeah, the business is asking me what our sales was last year, what our forecast is and where we're tracking. I'll wait to answer that later. Modern CFOs, you've already given that to the business because you're focused on, that's not, that's not the value to the business anymore. Let technology give that to the business. I want to focus on um, those four questions that we talked about. Overall, artificial intelligence and machine learning has a broad application across the board. Let me answer the question. Do I think it's going to take people's jobs and replace them? No. Those tools are meant to upskill you, whether you're in content, whether you're in finance, whether you're in marketing operations. Use those tools to upskill you to have higher value to your clients, to your team, or to the environment, or to the community that you serve. That is really the value proposition. You're absolutely right. And I I think, and I don't want to be too controversial, but there there will be a bit of a divide. You know, there'll be the the forward thinkers. There'll be this forward thinkers and not resisting and thinking, I'm going to avoid that like the plague because I'm scared of it. You know, and there'll be the people saying, this can actually really help me, like like you and I that have already been using it. And in legitimate and totally above board ways, not to produce you know, thousands of pages of web content just to, to, to get the SEO rankings and all of that sort of stuff. But t- take some examples, right? And, and I've got a fair amount of experience in, in sales, right? 
And so let's imagine a complex software cell, right? An ERP system. Traditional approach to, to solving an ERP solution is initial phone call. Um, and then back in the day when everybody's still on the road, I'm, I'm sometimes still on the road, but you, you'd have a face-to-face -face meeting with, with the organization and you'd have your, your toolkit of questions, which was, you know, tell me a little bit more about what's going on in your industry. Oh, oh, how are you doing this? You know, I've got a bit of experience here, but, but how's that changed? Look to the future, irrespective of whether it's face-to-face -face or on teams or on Zoom. You don't need to ask those questions anymore. Like chat GPT, tell me industry trends for this type of company that I'm about to go and speak to. Yeah. Tell me the challenges of this company that I'm likely to meet. Yeah. So then you're already ahead of your competition because you've always provided a, you've already provided a context and you can already demonstrate that you understand the business that you're speaking to. And then you can just focus on the key questions that are the, how can we add value? What are your ambitions? We know where you are. We, we learned where you are in, in five seconds, well, subject to a few program questions. And then again, you might be able to, to give a finance example, but you know, chat GPT, you know, how can I get people to submit their budgets on time? You know, chat GPT, how can I have meaningful conversations with people on what it means to me to actually get something met on a deadline? Do you see what I mean? And it's, it's kind of, Excellent. it goes back to that curiosity piece, doesn't it? You know, how can we supplement our knowledge? Yeah. So basically shortcut having to do a lot of the learning and research. And this is go, go back to the point about it being banned in schools because, because modern kit and it's going to think what's, what's going to happen, right? But the whole education system is going to need to change because That's if, right. if people are getting, you know, glasses now, um, you know, you can you already get your Google glass and your glasses record and all that sort of stuff. But if you've got chat GPT, that's scanning surround or something like chat GPT, scanning your surroundings feeding the conversation and pulling up on the screen inside that's relevant to the conversation, we're going to end up with kids kind of already, and they already kind of are with the headsets merging with machines to the point where a lot of the brain power that used to be used for knowledge retention and that sort of piece just doesn't need to be used anymore. So what, how can that brain power now be used? And I don't think we, I don't think we truly get it yet. I don't, we still don't understand our brains, you know, take out all of that learning process, take out all of that useful information and supplement it with something that's providing that knowledge. Where's that brain power going to go? And, and don't know the answer yet, but I'm very excited to see where it is. Yeah, man, it's super cool. And I think like in summary of what you just said, man, like that whole fact pattern you just walked through, right? It's upskilling you, right? That sales conversation, you spent all this time in this, right? Now you don't technology has replaced all of that, right? Most of it. Now I would say all of it, right? I think, you know, all and always are bad words, but it replaced majority of that. Think about the time, energy, and effort and efficiency. Now you have to focus on these higher value things, right? Like that to me is where I think the value of it is, is that it puts people in the right position, delivering the highest value and the highest partnership. And that echoes in the finance organization, right? I see people all the time post on LinkedIn where they're like, hey, write me a macro inside of Excel where it'll do A, B, C, and D, and it'll do that. And it'll give you the entire script. You literally copy that in there. I, I remember writing macros. I remember, write me a formula that does this, and it gives you the Excel formula that you have to just copy and paste right, right now, right? Like, uh, give me uh, uh, you know, a control procedure around debt collection, around cash collection, right? Now it's reading you this whole procedure that you don't have to 
go Google search, find all these templates, read them. This doesn't find, write me a collection policy that relates to a retail and e-commerce business that's under $2 million. Ooh, you got that right there. Now, now you cannot spend that time, energy, and effort writing the words, finding all the documents. You focus on delivering that to the business and tying that out to the business. You focus on what we talked about earlier, connecting the dots. How does this process improvement connect the dots to the sales, the operation organization that drives a business outcome? That's where you want to be positioned. And I think we are on the cusp of it. It's still new. Um, and I agree with you. You're going to have those people that are going to sit in two different cans. I am team technology adopter. I am running forward in the fire. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. No, that's, that's really great. How, how are you doing for time, Chris? We've already overrun a little bit. Oh yeah, we're good. Uh, I have like a couple more minutes. It's had 11 o'clock, but I, I'll just message her. This is a, this has been like a great conversation, dude. This yeah. is awesome. Yeah. No, this is really uh, we'll, we'll definitely have a round. I'll say we have a round soon, about six months once, you know, because the chat GBT competitors are already banging on the door. Right? So we're, we're just, oh, yeah. you know, there's actually tools that are like, I read about it yesterday where there's a, there's a AI that's going to be auditing AI to know whatever you're doing came from AI. Dude, it's fucking crazy. It's so exciting, dude. Like, it, I mean, it's, it's million dollar. It's going to be million dollar people. You see on YouTube right now, if you chat, chat, chat GDP, chat GPT, there are like so much being content created on how to make passive income off of it, dude. We are this right, this topic right here is on the cusp of something like the people that are riding this wave, man, these are going to be the people that are going to be like the future billionaires, bro. It is amazing to see. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Hey, did you, before we close off, I know we'll edit this and post. Do you want to do a quick like closing question and that way you have the full kind of like conclusion of this one? Oh yeah. 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 I, I, absolutely. And the, and the last question that I tend to ask is, um, and you can't, you can't say it's chat GPT now. We've talked about that a lot, right? But uh, the question I always ask is whether there's an app, gadget, you know, desktop app, you know, piece of software, and you just couldn't live without. Uh, in running my business and one thing I've learned and been super passionate about that I just like take into and dive deep into Canva. That will be a tool and not live without. Uh, it may sound weird to be a fractional CFO or running a fractional CFO business and not have it be like an accounting software, but number one tool for any fractional CFO, building your business, building your brand, uh, building content, Canva, without a doubt. Yeah, we, yeah it's, it's talked about quite a lot and, and, and the, Canva is a success story, right? And that, that's a whole different Huge. conversation, but yeah, that, that is, you mentioned multi-billion dollar business. That is. That's one of those, isn't it? But yeah, no, I can, I can vouch for, for Canva, you know, and even if it's just adding a bit of boom to your presentations, even if it's not like a, a side hustle or something like that, you know, you can, you can use it very quickly to gloss stuff up and give that professional finish, don't you? you know, so, yeah, I, I agree. Good shout out. Yeah. Canva's a good one. Nice. Great. Chris, it's, it's been amazing. Really blessed have, having a chat. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll write up the show notes, share them online. Um, and we'll go from there, but uh, yeah, def definitely around in the waiting, I think. See, see what happens in six or 12 months and we can, we can revisit. Awesome. Definitely. Adam, thank you so much for your time, man. Really appreciate the questions for all those listening and looking at this. If you want to follow me, um, I'm all over LinkedIn. Just look up Chris Ortega. 
If you want to learn more about Fresh FPNA and how we can help build, scale uh, your finance organization, check us out at www.freshfpa.com. And lastly, make sure to follow us on all of our social, Fresh FPA on all the socials. Adam, thank you so much for your time, man. Always, Chris. Pleasure to have you.